Don't you love your pastor and his family? Yes, we proud of you. Proud of you. Love you. Thank you. It's so exciting for me whenever I have an opportunity to be with our alumni from Wesley Biblical and uh, the ministry that God has given our alumni all across the country just excites me. And I meet some of the greatest people in the world when I meet our Wesley Biblical Seminary alumni. And John, you've been privileged to be pastored by at least three of them that I can think of real fast. So in two different cities, think of that. It's good to see you all. Thank you for the warm welcome. God's doing some exciting things these days at Wesley Biblical Seminary. We had the largest enrollment of the last five years since I've been president in this spring semester. And we graduated our very first class of doctoral students. We graduated six. It's turned on, Beth. Can you hear me okay? Uh, we graduated six doctoral students this spring from the seminary. And we had, uh, I think, another 11 that graduated with various master's degrees. It's exciting to step into a class at WBS these days. Now, when you think of seminary, you probably think of people driving into campus, getting out of a car, going into a classroom, and sitting together to learn. Isn't that how we typically think of seminary? That's not how we do seminary. Now, a few of our students will do seminary that way. For example, I stepped into a class this last week. Rick Boyd was teaching a class on biblical inspiration and authority. And that's the class where we talk about the Bible as the inerrant and inspired word of God. And so in that class, there are 21 students enrolled. Two of them were sitting in class live face to face. Then I looked at the flat panel and here were eight coming in via Zoom. And they're coming in from Winnipeg, Canada, Kenya, Africa, Mozambique, Africa, Uganda, Africa, Boardman, Ohio, and Tegucigalpa, Honduras. They're coming in from all around the world to Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and then in the evening for that class in Biblical Authority and Inspiration, half of the class was taking it asynchronously, where they watched the Zoom archive footage and participated in the forums and they're taking the same class together at the same time with this group that's taking it live. And we're pushing biblical and theological education from Jackson across the South, around the nation and around the world. And these are exciting days in biblical and theological education. I'm excited because one of our alumni who lives in Mexico City, his name's Roberto Stevenson. Roberto said, I've got a church, he's got a mega church of over 10,000 souls in Mexico City, Monte Maria Church. Roberto graduated from WBS in 2016. He said, I have a Bible college, and of my, from my Bible college, I've graduated several with bachelor's degrees who need to be more equipped in the calling and in the ministry God's, God has on their lives. So Roberto called us up and he said, can we come to Wesley, can Wesley Biblical Seminary come to Mexico City? And we said, we sure will. And we have a cohort of 22 students in Mexico City right now. We fly down there and teach a class for a week or two of intensive. 
They take a class online with us with live face-to-face -face video through a translator. We're doing all kinds of things to deliver in multiple platforms biblical and theological education to the nations. A friend of mine over in LaGrange, Georgia, called me up just a couple of weeks ago, and I went to see him in the LaGrange, Georgia area. This guy's a former student of Wesley Biblical Seminary. We've been friends all our lives. My daddy taught his mama math in Christian school in Kentucky back in the early 60s. So Melvin and I go way back. Melvin's a secret agent for Jesus. He works in restricted access nations around the world with ministerial education. And I can't say any more about that because we're on Facebook Live. <laughs> but Wesley Biblical Seminary is getting an opportunity. By August, we will be in a restricted access nation of the world with online asynchronous and synchronous education. That means in forums as well as in live face-to-face -face video classrooms. And that nation of the world is 13-hour time difference from here. So at 6 o'clock in the evening on a Friday night, we'll teach a Saturday morning 7 a.m. course with a professor from WBS in a restricted access nation of the world. And we're pushing it out. And we live in a city that is 75% African American. And so in order to be Christ in our city, part of what it means is we've started a brand new um, master's level certificate program on pastoral ministry in the African American church. One of our newly minted, freshly minted doctoral students who just graduated from Wesley Biblical Seminary is teaching a class in that right now. I dropped by the classroom yesterday. And there are 20 people enrolled in that class. African-American pastors and leaders who need more equipping for the context in which they are working. For the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom, for the spread of scriptural holiness around the world. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. It's hard work advancing biblical and theological education. But God's helping us to run an efficient business model. We've paid back almost 95% of the debt, the multi-million dollar debt that I inherited when I came to the seminary, either paid back or unrestricted that debt. Uh, we've made tremendous strides for the glory of God, and I give him praise. Now, we've got some opportunities to partner together, and I'm going to be sharing with the Board of Stewards some exciting opportunities to partner together with some opportunities in international ministry scholarships for people in nations where they really don't have the same access we have. And to scholarship those folks with some full tuition scholarships so that they can take advantage of biblical and theological graduate education. Our scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Hebrews and it's in chapter 12. I'm going to share with you a message that has, a, uh, the title is a question. And the title of the message this morning is, Is Holiness Optional. And if you buy a copy of my book, this is chapter 7 in the book. I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of the Word of God this morning in our scripture lesson. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. 
For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Lord Jesus, bless your word. Seal it to our hearts. May we walk in the light of it. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Is holiness optional is the question of the morning message. Now, when you ask a question like that, it makes me think of an of a American entertainer from last century. His name was W.C. Fields. And W.C. Fields talked kind of like this. Do you remember that voice? Okay. Toward the end of his life, he, he was noted agnostic. And toward the end of his life, he was seen with an open Bible, reading the Bible. And somebody went up to him and said, Mr. Fields, I didn't think you believed that stuff. Why are you reading a Bible? And he responded in that voice. He said, I'm looking for loopholes. Looking for loopholes. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? You know, the word of God says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And we immediately say, but what are my options? <laughs> what are the loopholes? What's the workaround? Mm -hmm. And we're looking for options. Now look back at the text as we put it back up on the screen. And as you see the text of this scripture, what you're going to see is you're going to see four steps in a staircase. And the four steps in a staircase are steps away from holiness. Let's look at the text and see those steps right there in the text itself. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Beware lest any bitter root. There's step number one. On an individual level, as I step away from God's call to be holy, on an individual level, it's either holiness or bitterness. Beware lest any bitter root springing up trouble you, whereby many be defiled. And there you see the second step. Whereby many be defiled. Bitterness never remains in isolation. I can't see. It's kind of like an old drunk drinking alone. He has to get somebody there to enjoy it with him. And and there we are in our bitterness. We have to find someone to be complicit with us. On an individual level, it's holiness or bitterness. On a corporate level, it's holiness or defilement. And then you look back into the text. Beware lest any bitter roots spring up trouble you, whereby many be defiled. And then the text gives us the example of Esau. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat, sold his birthright. Now, a fornicator or a profane person as Esau is the picture of a totally sensual person. So look at the model again. On an individual level, it's either holiness or bitterness. On a corporate level, it's either holiness or defilement. On a relational level, third step down away from holiness. It's getting progressively worse, you see. On a, on a relational level, it's either holiness or sensuality and often sexual immorality. And then when you look at the text, you see it there. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. He found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. On a vertical relationship between us and God, step number four is either holiness or rejection by God. 
It's a scary series of steps away from God and his call for us to be holy. Now, when I'm in camp meetings out in the heat of an open-air tabernacle, I get on a ladder and preach this sermon. It's a lot of fun. The kids are in the back taking bets about when I'm going to fall off. You know. Let's think about step number one first. On an individual level, it's either holiness or bitterness. Let me submit to you that bitterness is the secret sin of the church. We dress it up. We put the makeup perfectly. We put the jewelry on. We put the nice shoes. We have it perfectly quaffed. And we trot our bitter hearts to church. And we pretend like there is nothing wrong. And we go about the routine of the appearance of holiness when inside there's a cantankerous, angry spirit, a bitter spirit. You see, bitterness is never a choice we make. Bitterness is the default option of the soul based upon how we are born into this world. For we are born in bitterness. We are born in sin, the Bible teaches us. We have a problem of an inherited sin disposition, which is the root of bitterness. The carnal mind, inherited sin, the old man, the body of death, and the biblical metaphors go on and on. The totally sensual one, the carnal mind. And all of Scripture in the New Testament is telling us that Christ came to do more than leave us in our duplicitous, double-minded nature. He came to make us whole and holy, but we live fractured lives. We live partial lives. We live incomplete lives. We live lives where our interior world is broken and shattered by bitterness. Here's the burden of my heart. The Bible calls us beyond our bitterness. There's hope for our bitterness. But most folks in church are taking their bitterness to church every Sunday. And they leave church and go home with their bitterness intact. Why is that? I will submit to you an answer to that question. I think most folks are going home from church with their bitterness intact because nobody is telling them that they can be free from it. Bitterness eats us up. It consumes us. It can drive us to insanity. It can put us behind bars. It can destroy our marriages. It will poison our relationship with our children and our children-in-law and our grandkids and our neighbors and our church family. And you see, we find ourselves when when we're consumed with bitterness. Watch what happens. Our jobs change. Our spouses' names change. Our address changes. Our state of residence changes. 
But something remains constant in us because we keep poisoning everything that we think we love because we have poison inside. And we live this repetitive cycle of brokenness because of bitterness when Jesus is saying all the time, come to me and let me heal you of your bitterness. I'm convinced that bitterness is the secret sin of the church. Now, I'm going to lay it out in the book far more than I can in the message this morning, but this is the most deeply felt need I see across the church of Jesus Christ. We're consumed with the root of bitterness. And it, and it troubles me deeply. I was in uh, Kenya, Africa a few years ago, and I don't know if you have this problem. Um, do you have problems where people will drop strays off by your house? Yeah, I lived on a Bible college campus for 23 years, and while I lived on the Bible college campus, I think the line in people's heads went like this, Marshall. They're nice people up there. They're good people. I can drop these strays off, and surely somebody will take it in and care for it. Imagine somebody drops off a pretty little striped kitty by your house, and it's all flea-bitten and pitiful-looking and, and just hungry, and, and you, you pick it up, and you, the kitty wins your heart. And you pick kitty, and you say, oh, you poor little thing. You neglected little pitiful thing. I'm so sorry. And you kiss kitty and pet kitty and you take kitty to the vet and you get kitty at shots and you get kitty dipped and you get kitty all cleaned up from the fleas and, and you feed kitty its kibble and its bowl of milk and kitty is growing and, and seems healthy. And, and one day you came, come home from work, imperceptibly, almost overnight, kitty has grown up. And when you come in from work that day, kitty bears its fangs, extends its claws, and eats you alive. Because what you thought was just an ordinary house cat was actually a wild lion. That's bitterness. It feels so good to pet it when it's small. To coddle it. You see, you poor little thing, they shouldn't treat you like that. Those are bad people. You deserve better than that. You've never played that tape in your head. I'm the only one who's ever struggled with these issues. You look so righteous this morning. <laughs> That's it. Smile at me. It'll be over in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Bitterness will consume us. A friend of mine told me, he said, Bitterness is the only poison we ever drink expecting somebody else to get sick. And we get stuck. Stuck in our bitterness, in our anger, sometimes even in our malice and our revenge. And bitterness grows Nelson producing never stays the same size. It always grows on, on what it feeds on. And the sin of bitterness will never remain the little kitty in the heart that you pet with affection and to which you talk baby talk. Bitterness will grow into a roaring lion that will consume you. What's the solution for bitterness? Well, it does start with forgiveness. My friend, Evangelist Lane Lohman, said that when you, for, you can know that you've forgiven somebody when you, your ill feelings toward them are gone, you see them through Jesus' eyes, 
You care more about them than what, and what they're doing to themselves than what they did to you. You can rejoice in their successes and when you can stop talking about them. That's where we say amen or ouch, isn't it? Now, I want you to think about a cycle of bitterness that I want to put up on the screen real quickly. Where does bitterness start? Bitterness always starts at the elemental level with our rights. And our rights yield expectations. Uh, if I have rights in my relationship with my wife, those will yield expectations. And you know that nobody can ever come up to your expectations. And when people fail to meet your expectations, that will make you frustrated. And the frustration will soon yield attributions where you go into making assessments about why that other person wronged you. Why did that woman do that? She's just trying to get my goat. Doesn't she know that I? Now you're staring at me again. And so I make those attributions. I go inside her head, her heart, her mind, her emotions, and I try to assess her motivations about why she is frustrating me. And before you know it, I'm angry. And that anger, if unchecked, will result in full-blown bitterness. Where does it start in the model? Do you see where it starts? It starts with our rights. What does Jesus keep doing in our lives? Calling us to a cross. What do we have to surrender to Jesus at the cross? Our rights. Say it with me. Our rights. And that's the crucified life. That's the life that's crucified with Christ. If he has, if I have allowed him to crucify me in a full identification with himself and what he did on the cross at Calvary for me, you see where that gets past forgiveness? It's past my forgiving my wife for the wrongs I perceive she made against me. Now it's to the point that I have identified with Christ for my sake, for his sake, and for her sake. That's entirely different and deep. On an individual level, it's either holiness or bitterness. I'm moving along pretty quickly. On a, on a corporate level, it's either holiness or defilement. You know how it is in step two. The, st the tongues start wagging. We have to get other people to be complicit with our bitterness, and so we begin sowing the seed of bitterness in their hearts and in their minds. Would you imagine a metaphor with me? Imagine that I'm handing to you my grievances with another person, Pastor Marshall, and I'm handing them to you as a photograph. Do you remember Polaroid instant photos? Oh, man. So I'm taking Polaroids and I'm saying to Marshall, this is how I feel about this person and this is what they did to me. Would you take that Polaroid? Thank you. Let it dry. Do like this until it dries. Some of you actually remember that. Some of you are looking at me and you're saying, what's he talking about? It was high tech in the 70s, okay? And I've just handed him snapshots of my emotional world. But guess what? Life is not a series of snapshots with people. Life is a moving picture, right? And so my relationship with the person, I've just handed him an isolated still shot, a Polaroid, if you please. But my life goes on with them. And guess what? That Polaroid, that snapshot, that still shot can sow bitterness in his heart. Because I've moved on, and maybe I've moved past it. Maybe I forgot all about it, but I've biased Marshall against another person that I'm struggling with in relationship. 
and I have sown defilement. It's so easy to do. And when I'm in full-blown bitterness, I'm sowing defilement with anybody who will take my snapshots. And then I'm putting on the layering snapshot upon snapshot until I'm filling an emotional photo album, if you please. And some of us have emotional photo albums in the broken, bitter relationships of our lives that whenever we bring over a house guest, we pull out our emotional photo album and we show them off. That's defilement. A bitter heart will never remain bitter in isolation. What's the cure for that kind of defilement? Repentance. Repentance. Making our wrongs right with our brothers and sisters whom we've defiled with our bitterness. I was teaching along this line several months ago in the state of Michigan. And while I was up there, I was getting reports of two men who had been on the board of trustees of a church together and they had sought each other out and they had made wrongs right where they had been at odds with each other on the board. Two women who had probably crossed swords in the kitchen over how the church dinner was to be presented. And they were making their wrongs right with one another and cleaning up relational bitterness. Perfect love is God's cure, his holy cure for bitter hearts. The Bible tells us in the scripture Above all, love each other deeply. The word of the Lord in 1 Peter 4.8. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity, love, covers a multitude of sins. John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. It said of the early church, Behold how they Love one another. Mm, perfect love is the antidote for corporate defilement. But if unchecked, individual bitterness soon becomes corporate defilement, and corporate defilement soon infects relationships with relational sensuality and often sexual immorality. You know how it is. One of the great temptations of midlife is to accumulate sensuality. I've got to have more. I've got to fully fund my 401k. I've got to get my house paid off. I've got to get a bigger and better house in a finer and nicer neighborhood and sensuality stuff. What I see and smell and taste and hear and touch can become a substitute, an idolatrous, idolatrous alternative for service to a true and living God. But one of the most insidious of all forms of sensuality in our culture is the form of sensuality that affected Esau's life. Esau was a totally sensual man. He had to have what he had, and he had to have it now. Immediate gratification. That pertained to his sex life and his diet. He wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it now. And for, for his wives, he had to go after the sexy Canaanite girls. Broke his mommy and daddy's heart. They worshiped Baal and Asherah the sex and fertility cults of the Canaanite people. And that's the girls he wanted to go after. And that's what he pursued. And it broke his mom and dad's heart. Esau had to have what he wanted and had to have it. Now, remember, he came home from hunting one day 
He'd been out in the field, and his brother Jacob had a bowl of red bean soup cooking on the, on the fire. Esau came in from the field. He's a red, hairy man. And Esau came in, and he said, I've got to have some of that soup, Bubba. Fix me up a bowl of it. I'm hungry. Or something like that. <laughs> And Jacob, ever the conniver, said, what's it worth to you? What do you give me for it? And he bartered a deal, and Esau said, what's my birthright worth to me if I'd famish and die with hunger? And Jacob was laughing behind his hand the whole time. And he served up a bowl of red bean soup to his brother. Check the text. That's what it is. And he got a nickname after that. You know what his nickname was? His given name was Esau. His nickname was Edom. You know what Edom meant? Hey, Red! Forever after that, he was mocked and ridiculed. And people laughed at him as he went by. Hey, Red! Mocked for his sensuality and his inability to delay his gratification. You see, when we start walking away from holiness, the stair steps begin to go downward. On an individual level, it's either holiness or bitterness. On a corporate level, it's either holiness or defilement. On a relational level, it's either holiness or sensuality and often sexual immorality. You know what I've found about folks that I've known and loved, especially ministers who are caught in sexual immorality? Do you know what I've found? of my minister friends who have been caught in sexual immorality, if they are indeed caught by someone else and outed by someone else, I have rarely seen their repentance genuine. And sometimes you don't know for decades if it is or not. However, if they get to this point and sexual immorality comes into a minister's life and he or she repents of their own accord without being trapped or caught, it bodes well for the potential of genuine repentance. It's probably the same way in our marriages too, huh? On a relational level, it's either holiness or sensuality and often sexual immorality. What's the cure for that? The cure is genuine repentance and then pursuing the sanctifying fullness and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Here's how Paul put it to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Woo! That's as relevant as today. The first century world was much like our own. It was a world filled with sexual immorality. Is a world filled with pornography, plastered everywhere. And into that world, the gospel of Jesus Christ turned that world upside down because Paul wasn't afraid to proclaim, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Fornication is a broad term referring to all forms of sexual immorality. Same sex, opposite sex, incest, pornography, it's all of it. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from all forms of sexual immorality. 
Wow. And then he says that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passionate lust like the heathen. Vessel to which he's referring to could have a double meaning there. It could mean your own body. Or it could mean, in speaking to a male audience, it could mean your wife's body. How to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And then he says that no man go beyond and defraud or cheat his own brother. In other words, if I have sex with my neighbor's wife, my believing Christian's wife, I've defrauded my believing Christian male friend. I've cheated him. I've cheated my wife. I've cheated that woman. I've cheated myself. I've defrauded a whole host. I've defrauded our children. I've defrauded our grandchildren. I've defrauded a whole host of brothers and sisters. I've I've defrauded the local church. I've cheated people out of what is rightfully theirs to be shared alone with them and their spouse in the bonds of holy marriage. Is holiness optional is the question we're asking here today. So we're looking at the options. How do you like them so far? Pretty lousy options, aren't they? On an individual level, it's a holiness or bitterness. Then the next step down, just related right to it, it's holiness or defilement. And then the next step, related right to it, is holiness or sensuality and often sexual immorality. And then the fourth step is about this vertical relationship between us and God. And it's very simply the life of Esau. It's either holiness or rejection by God. Hear the words of the text of our scripture lesson. For you know how that afterward, when Esau would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He couldn't get back. He tried as much as he could. But he couldn't, he had so seared his conscience that he could not get his mind, his heart, his spirit into true repentance just couldn't get back is it because God said he had committed the unpardonable sin no no he had seared his own conscience to a place he could not recover a heart of repentance we can do that we can walk away from God in disobedience until, as Paul said, we sear our conscience as with a hot iron. Cauterize our conscience. That's scary. And guess what? Because of the level of light, the spiritual opportunity that God's given me, the place of leadership in biblical and theological education and ministry formation, I'm at greatest risk. Pastor Marshall's at greatest risk. You've got to pray for us that we keep our conscience clean before God because with our level of light and understanding of God's word, what he's shown us through careful study and and revelation. We start going through this process, Pastor, we're in a heap of trouble in a hurry. 
There it is in the text. So I've come to asking people that I know and love who are caught in the clutches of sexual immorality, is there anybody in your life against whom you're bitter? 100% of the time. Doug's a friend of mine. He's in my men's group in Jackson, my discipleship group that I lead. And Doug, I just went over my book with the discipleship group of men. We were at Mars and Steel Trophy Shop on Frontage Road in Jackson with Sonny Steel. Every Wednesday morning for about 10 weeks, Doug looked at me and he said, when you showed us that model, pop the model up there again with the arrow on it. He said, John, when you showed us the model, rights, yield expectations, yield frustration, attributions, anger, bitterness, and that throws us into this whole cycle of immorality. He said, I see it. I've lived it. I've lived it. We're asking the question before us today, is holiness optional? And I want to say to you that I really don't like those options. How about you? God presents to us a divine option. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Uh, I came across a story some years ago about Bruce Larson. Bruce Larson was working in New York City at the RCA building. And there, yes, that's the correct slide. With the, and there at the RCA building is a statue of the mythical Atlas, the strongest man who ever lived. And there's Atlas holding the world, a globe of the world up on his shoulders, every muscle bulging, ripped, cut, buff, defined. You all with me? Mm, not like me, dad bod. Papal Bod. Mm. Cut, defined. Lifting the world aloft. All too often we try to live like Atlas, holding our world above our shoulders, and we find ourselves struggling to maintain balance and struggling to hold the burdens of our life. Even, yes, our bitterness aloft and keep our world functioning. Bruce Larson said, but then I'd like to take people across the street, across Fifth Avenue, over to the high altar of St. Patrick's Cathedral, and there's a nave dedicated to the boy Jesus, eight or nine years of age, and he's standing there as a statue represented, holding his hand and a globe of the world in his hand. How much better for you and me, to abandon our bitterness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ rather than trying to wrestle with and grapple the control of our world. Because something's going to give. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're not going to be able to maintain your balance. But our Lord Christ can handle your world. You know what it starts with? relinquishing your rights to his lordship that he might fill you with all of the fullness of God and through the abiding presence of the Holy Ghost of God in your heart and life empower you from within through the renewing of your mind to live a holy life by grace through faith. And he's provided that for you and me.
Is holiness optional? Would you stand together?